I don't remember much about like the actual class except being the only person who was bigger bodied there. And then the thing that got my attention was like after I left the class, I remember getting in my car and like driving a little ways home. I like to call it the mean girl soundtrack, like in my head started back up. I don't know if you've experienced this listeners of like, there's this voice that's like, you're ugly, you're fat, you're stupid. Everything you say makes people mad at you. You know, that little negative self-talk loop that's always playing. And like that started back up and that made me notice that it had stopped. You're listening to the Yoga Magic Podcast with host Ashley Sondergaard. Do you remember that first time you took a yoga class, lying in Shavasana thinking, what is this magic? For me, yoga opened the door to a life full of self-discovery and self-care. This show shines a light on what is possible when you invest in your well-being, and not only for you, but for everyone around you. I interview women in the space of healing, spirituality, beauty, wellness, and of course, yoga. This community of listeners is excited to expand their minds, open new doors, be honest, and sometimes take a big old handstand fall on the way. My hope is that this show gifts you a library of accessible new practices that fill up your soul and open your mind. Not all will be perfect for you, but that's the best part. Trying it on and finding your personal favorites. This is Yoga Magic. Thanks for listening. Hey everybody, welcome back to Yoga Magic. I'm your host, Ashley. I'm so happy you're here. If you're new here, we talk about self-care and self-discovery. Yoga was the first practice that really opened me up to this this whole world of being better, of living a joyful life. So I wanted to share more practices with you in a really accessible way. And that's what we do on this show. Speaking of joyful friends, it is October. It's not even Halloween yet. And I'm fully prepared for Christmas. I know some of you are too. I, yeah, 2020 can be done, although, I mean, it's not really going to be a whole lot better, astrologically speaking, but it just sounds good, right? But honestly, cozy socks and tea, they just make for a great work-from-home environment, right? Our house is super cold, um, and our heat hasn't been working very lately. I don't know. It's very mercury retrograde. So I'll walk around in the house in my extremely cozy maternity winter coat, <laughs> Like, let's be clear. I'm not pregnant. I just really like that coat. And I can fit my dog in my coat on my lap while I'm recording. Life is good. (laughs) Oh, dear. Okay, friends, as I was working through this episode, you know, editing and digesting, I just kept coming back to this idea that, that we're all going to make mistakes. You know, that's true of our yoga practice. There's no such thing as a perfect yoga practice. And, you know, it's true when we're trying to be better. This is a time of awakening, you know, culturally, spiritually. And if you listen to the show, you're probably on the journey of discovering who your best self is and how you can be better. As a yoga teacher, I make so many mistakes. I say things wrong all the time. Like I mix up my sentences. I forget stuff. Sometimes I accidentally swear. I don't know. (laughs) It's fine. And right now... I'm really focused on using inclusive language, on cueing for a diverse range of bodies, and being welcoming to people that that just don't look like me. And here's my biggest takeaway through this whole process. I'm going to mess up at some point. I will. But that does not mean that I can't keep trying to be better, right? To be a better teacher, to be a better human, a better spirit. So this convo today, we talk about the yoga industry and how it it has fallen short in welcoming everyone, but also how we can turn it around, how we are turning it around, how we can shape the industry and the larger world around us to people in every body size. And y'all, Amber Carnes, today's guest, she is doing this. She's shaping the industry. So much so, she's on the cover of Yoga Journal this month. Amazing. So let me tell you about Amber. Amber Carnes trains yoga teachers around the world to create accessible, equitable spaces for liberation and belonging. She is the founder of Body Positive Yoga, the co-founder of the Accessible Yoga Training School, co-host of the Accessible Yoga Podcast, and a lifelong student of her body. She also creates community for folks who want to build unshakable confidence and learn to live without shame or apology in the bodies that they have today. Today's conversation is a great one for those of you who are yoga teachers, but also for those of you who just, you know, think of yoga as more than just a physical 
practice because it is so much more, right? And if you love learning from Amber, check out the show notes for more information on her next training, the accessible yoga training. It starts this January. There is a wait list, but check it out. It's amazing. It's not just for yoga teachers. It's for everyone. Okay, friends, before we dive in, if you love this content, if you resonate with Amber or me or any guest on the show in the past, do me a really huge favor right now or in a little bit and share this show with a friend. You know, share it on Instagram, tag me or text it to a friend, someone you love that could totally benefit from this free info. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you in advance. All right, let's hop on over to Amber to learn more about inclusivity, equity, and yoga. Welcome, Amber. I'm Ashley. I'm so glad you're here on the show today. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Like I was just saying a moment ago, I love your show. I love your podcast. And it's relatively new, right? Like you just it's brand new. I find myself, I was listening to it in the car the other day, which I don't really drive that often anymore. And I was like violently like nodding my head. (laughs) I was like, someone is gonna be very concerned. Um, (laughs) but I feel like I learn so much from the two of you, you and your co-host, Jivana, about just a lot of different things. But I don't wanna I won't describe that for for the audience. Will you tell listeners who you are, what your goodness is, what you do in in the yoga world, in the larger world? Yeah, sure. So um, hi, everyone. I'm Amber Carnes. Um, My pronouns are she and her. I live in Baltimore, Maryland uh, with my husband, Jimmy. We have a dog named Garnet who is a little alien mixed with a Boston Terrier. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And let's see. So I'm the founder of Body Positive Yoga, um, and I... I'm a yoga teacher trainer. I train teachers how to sort of work with the rest of us, people with disabilities, folks in larger bodies, older folks, brand new beginners, um, folks that are sort of left on the margins or not really centered in um, traditional sort of Western yoga spaces. And so um, I train basically yoga teachers on how to be community builders, how to make their classes more welcoming and safe for all different kinds of people. I used to do that through like trainings and retreats and things like that and travel a lot. And now I'm doing everything online. Um, And so recently, uh, Jeevana Heyman, who you mentioned, and I uh, co-founded the Accessible Yoga Training School, which is an online academy for folks that want to study about um, equity issues in yoga. So um, the purpose of the school is really twofold. Like one, we really want to provide high quality education around these issues of accessibility, how to address things like, you know, ableism and fat phobia and white supremacy, especially in our yoga spaces and know that that's like the, the way to like honor the wholeness of our students and the teachings and everything else. And also with this school, we plan to like directly address some of the gatekeeping issues in the yoga industry, which, you know, I think that folks with privilege, um, a lot of, you know, myself included, like we get these um, sort of like the same 10 experts get asked to, to speak on these issues. You know, they get invited mm-hmm. to the teacher trainings or the conferences or whatever, but there are so many like underestimated and, and um, you know, under platform teachers out there that are doing amazing work and really like making these huge differences in their communities. And so we want to give them a platform too. And so that's one of the things that we're, um, that we're going to be doing with this school and as we like select the presenters and stuff like that. So my work has shifted and changed a lot in the past, um, you know, six months. Um, but I'm really excited about the direction it's going. And it's been a really good practice for me in non-attachment basically of like, oh, I'm this kind of teacher that does these kinds of events and I'm a community builder in person. And then having to sort of like redo <laughs> everything about yeah. the way I do my business, you know, but the work stays the same basically. So okay, I uh, like the, the, the goal, I guess the mission, it just, now we're online instead. So now we're online. Yeah. Now you can reach way more, not way more people, but you can definitely reach yeah. them more in one fell swoop. Really? I mean, yeah. Efficiency. Totally. And I think, you know, one of the beautiful things about moving online is it really does make it more accessible. Like a mm-hmm. lot of folks, you know, don't get to go to weekend trainings. There's a lot of you have to have the money and the time off and the support for like whatever family you may be responsible for caring for, you know, like, and you have to maybe travel somewhere and there's expenses with that. And so I think for a lot of people that maybe have wanted to take specialized trainings um, in these areas, it just, there's all those barriers. And so 
that's one of the things that I think is really great about how much access, like all of these teachers moving online has kind of given everyone, you know, Mm -hmm. so. I have a question about that, which we'll, we'll come back to, but I'm curious. I mean, I think this, the work that you do was important, just as important now as it was, you know, five years ago, but it seems like now there are no excuses for people to be pretending like they don't know how to teach to everyone. You know what I mean? Like you're the type of trainings and the specialized trainings that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. If people are, are just walking into your run of the mill everyday yoga teacher training and getting the basics and never touching on anything accessibility. I mean, that is such a disservice. It was now, but or it was a while ago, but now I'm like, there's no turning back. People yeah. you need to start waking up. <laughs> Would you say that's true? And I guess maybe that's hopeful for your new endeavor. I mean, sure. You know, I, I think this information has been out there. You know, it's not something that I invented, you know, <laughs> a few years ago or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, there have been people, marginalized folks practicing yoga forever without, you know, who cares what's taught in a 200 hour teacher training, you know what I mean? Um, I think it's definitely imperative to, to individual teachers, not only to make sure that they get the education they need to be able to work with any human that comes into their class. But I think like the bigger question is really like, why are those teachers graduating teacher training without having that information? You know what I mean? And so I think like my sort of charge around that would be to the the folks who own the studios, who run these trainings, you know, the influential teachers out there, like we get to shape this culture. And right. so, you know, if I think if we want to stay connected to the heart of the yoga teachings, which really emphasize like our interconnectedness, then we can't leave people by the wayside just because like we didn't learn that stuff and our teacher didn't teach it. So we don't teach it in our 200 hour, you know, like I think the, the, you know, as teachers that shape this culture and that shape the expectations of like what yoga is supposed to be, like we're the ones that get to say mm-hmm. like what's important enough to include in a training and what's not and what really will serve like our students and what maybe is not as important or maybe what what has come into the the practice or the, I guess, like the popular consciousness around yoga because of influences like capitalism and the way that, you know, profit to a degree drives like how we do things in our industry. So mm-hmm. I think there's those big questions too, you know, like, yes, individually, we should all educate ourselves. And why are we not getting that in the first place? You know? Right. I completely agree. And it's funny too, like I have led lots of trainings as well. And and I find that sometimes there's the type of student who comes out, it's going to teach yoga. And like, this is what I learned in my training. And this is what I'm going to teach. And like, yikes, really? I mean, because <laughs> that's not going <laughs> to and then there's the other student, I mean, to generalize, that that realizes the more you know, the less you know. It's like, whoa, I'm opening these doors, but like, this is the tip of the iceberg. And and I love how, I think it was on episode three, you guys were talking about how if we create a space for people to give feedback, for your students to give feedback and a, a safe space, that that conversation can happen mm-hmm. and and if you're closed off to it, I mean, that's, that's a pretty unwelcoming situation for a teacher, for a student. Yeah. Yeah. I think as teachers, you know, we kind of have to model non-attachment and we have to really be willing to hear feedback from our students. We have to be willing to admit when we don't know something, when we might need to right. like do some researching back to them or refer someone out if it's not in our scope of practice, you know, or just to admit, like, you know, to see a student as equal and say like, listen, I'm, I don't really understand everything that's like going on with your body. Like, can we talk a little bit more about what would be a a better way for you to work in this posture? Or, you know, could I offer you this to try to work with what, like the body that you have today? And Mm -hmm. so I think those, those bigger questions for us as teachers around, you know, what is our role with our students and are we there to, to guide an experience so they can do their own practice or are we there to sort of like try to fix them in some way. Do you know what I mean? God, yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to hear about your journey through yoga and mm-hmm. your experience into what you're doing now, how it really shaped you, the goods, the bads, all of it. Sure. Well, um, I first came to yoga in my early twenties. Um, definitely at that time I was very much on a like weight loss project. Um, I've always been in a bigger body, um, since my teen years. Um, 
plus size uh, person. I'm a fat woman. I do use the word fat. Like that's primarily what I identify with. And so I, at the time, you know, now I, I don't diet and I've, you know, tried to divest myself from diet culture. Um, I don't intend attempt to manipulate my weight. But um, back then I definitely was like Mm -hmm. dieting and exercising, like trying to lose weight. And I heard of, or I I went to yoga because of the trainer at this gym. And like my intro to yoga was you should go to yoga on your rest days. And because it's not really exercise, but you'll still burn a lot of calories. Like that's what, you know, was presented to me, like (laughs) why I should do yoga. So I was like, okay, coach, you know, I, I'm off to the class. Um, And so I didn't really think that people in bigger bodies practice yoga. Like I didn't know much about it, but I never seen a picture of someone like me doing that. So I was like a little intimidated going in, but you know, this was what I was going to do. So I don't remember much about like the actual class except being the only person who was bigger bodied there. And then the thing that got my attention was like, after I left the class, I remember getting in my car and like driving a little ways home I like to call it the mean girl soundtrack, like in my head started back up. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you've experienced this listeners of like, there's this voice that's like, you're ugly, you're fat, you're stupid. Everything you say makes people mad at you. You know, that little negative self-talk loop that's always playing. And like that started back up and that made me notice that it had stopped. Even for just 10 minutes after class, like she shut up, you know what I'm saying? And so that was very new. That was like, that negative self-talk had kind of been really present, like since I was like a preteen, you know, I didn't know you could turn that off. Like I thought that was just the way my brain worked. And so that like got my attention big time. And I really wanted to understand like how that happened. I was like, I wonder if that was like this class. And so I went back and like, it did happen again. Like I would notice when I would leave these classes that I would feel a little more grounded, a little less, like, I don't know, I'm like a really high strung person. I felt like it like took me down a frequency. I noticed my self-talk was a little nicer. You know, I just like generally felt less anxious. And so that like kept me coming back to yoga, like the physical practice. I mean, like I was moving my body, but I didn't feel like I was very quote unquote good at yoga because I was still evaluating sort of the physical practice through this like exercise lens. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't actually experiencing it that way. And I'm kind of grateful that the trainer like introduced it that way is like yoga is not exercise because I definitely had a relationship with exercise that was very like punitive. That was very like me trying to do something to change or fix or control my body, right? Like when I'm running, I'm, I'm running on the treadmill because I need to like earn the dessert I ate or I'm running because good people exercise and lazy people don't sort of all these like extrinsic reasons that I was putting on to exercise that was about like fixing something about my body. Whereas yoga, I didn't approach it that way because it was literally like, it's not exercise. (laughs) And so I don't even know why, but in my brain like that, like I didn't treat it the same way. And so like I would go in and I would do what the teacher said, like I would be present and I would scan my body and I would do the breathing. And so it actually allowed me to experience movement as an adult in a positive way in that body that I hated so much. Hmm. And that like changed everything. Like I was like, Oh, what if it doesn't have to be about this? What if it's about this? Cause I actually like, what if movement isn't about fixing or changing or that something's wrong with me? What if it's actually about being in my body and doing something like with my body? So like for the first time we were like on the same side, we were partners in crime. I was like, figuring out all this new stuff about like being in a body in a way that felt really good. And that didn't, that wasn't about feeling shame or feeling like a a lack or that I wasn't good enough. And so like that start to yoga and being able to experience like that mindful movement, because it wasn't just the, you know, the physicality of the practice, but I was getting all these like mental health benefits too. And so it really stuck for me, you know, and, and my yoga practice kind of developed and evolved at the same time that I was sort of becoming more of a, an aware like citizen in the world and mm-hmm. learning about like social justice and, you know, feminism. And um, I learned about the fat acceptance movement. I learned about body positivity and health at every size. And like all of this kind of was happening at the same time. And I finally like you know, kind of came to terms with myself about body acceptance and yoga was like such a big catalyst to get me there. Um, and I mean, has really, you know, changed my whole life and career and everything, uh, is now 
toward that direction because I know how powerful it was for me. And so when I decided to take teacher training, um, that was like seven years into my practice, my yoga practice. And I was one of those teachers that was like, oh, I'm not going to teach. I just want to learn the, you know, the rest of the yoga. I just want to deepen my own practice. And then about halfway through, you know, I, I realized two things. Like one, I realized that I was having a very different experience in this teacher training than the other like smaller bodied people in the room. Like I was the only person there in a bigger body. And I would notice like after we would do the practice teaching and then, you know, you have to give feedback. This is like a terrible part of teacher training. If you didn't know uh, anyone who's not a teacher who's listening, you like practice teach, you're really bad at it because you're a beginner. Then everyone tells you how terrible you are. Not really. I like that's definitely what it feels like. And so, um, so every time it would be time for the feedback, like, I think I just annoyed everyone else because I would always be like, okay, well, like in my body, when you ask me to step my foot forward between my hands, like it just doesn't happen. So like, what else am I supposed to do? You know, like I would really give this feedback and I noticed like I was the only one giving that type of feedback. So it's like, okay, something there. Right. And then I also was noticing how many of my friends who once they learned I was going through teacher training Oh, well, I would never go to a yoga class, but I will come. <laughs> and I was like, huh, what's that about? So I knew it wasn't because I was the greatest teacher ever because I wasn't <laughs> even teaching yet. Right. I was like, what is that about? And so, yeah, you know, when I started thinking about the experience that I had as a student of yoga and a student who was in a bigger body the day that I started, you know, like I've always practiced yoga in a bigger body. And the frustrating things that have happened to me along the way, you know, like teachers completely ignoring the fact that I'm there, even though it's like clear that I'm struggling to make whatever shape they're saying, um, you know, teaching that's like, um, you know, you should really be using a block or a strap, but like no instruction on how to do it. You know, like all those frustrating things that I ran into as a student and I was talking to these other people who were like the I'll never go to yoga again types and hearing their stories of how they were singled out, how they were, you know, a class description would say all bodies and abilities, but then they had to like get up and down off the floor 20 times, you know, like there was these things that kept happening over and over again. And I was hearing these stories and I was like, okay, obviously like this market, this like segment of the population is not being served. Like we are being left out. We are not being even considered. I believe that everyone deserves to have access to the teachings of yoga. I knew how much they had changed my life and changed my perspective on my body and my brain and everything. And so I wanted to share that with people. And so uh, at the time when I went through teacher training, which was 2010, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of stuff out there. Like this was before Instagram and before you could just search like plus size yoga or some, you know, and find a ton. Like there were people doing work. Diane Bondi had a website. Uh, there was a book out by Patricia Kerr. There was a DVD by Abby Lentz. Like Curvy Yoga was online for like one year at that point. And there wasn't a ton of content. There definitely wasn't like tutorials. You know, I went online to try to find it, like how to do shoulder stand with big chest. And like there wasn't anything, you know. So I just started making that. I started making content about the things that I was figuring out in teacher training about how to work with my own body. I was making videos about how to, you know, the things that I'd always done to modify a sun salutation. And so uh, people really, you know, were passionate about it. And um, so I started blogging and writing under the name Body Positive Yoga. And then in 2015, I partnered with Diane Bondi to create the Yoga for All teacher training, which has always been online. And we run that twice a year. We've had over 1,200 teachers become certified and, um, and then I started running my retreats in 2015 as well. And so uh, that's like my favorite part of my job. And the one thing I can't wait to get back to if we get to gather again. Um, and then, you know, I, in 2017, I quit my full-time job and I've been teaching yoga and doing teacher trainings and everything. You know, I, I definitely love to teach and talk about, you know, body positivity and body image and things like that. And like I've shifted beyond sort of like the individual lens of like, you know, let's all fix our self-esteem, you know, to a bigger conversation about like, why do we get messed up about bodies in the first place? And the answer to that is all couched in white supremacy and patriarchy and capitalism. And so 
I think, you know, for me, the lens of my work has sort of opened wider as well um, in the conversations that we have, you know, in the teacher trainings and the workshops that I do while we may, you know, talk about things like body image or our self-talk or all those things, like realizing how that's connected with the bigger picture, I think is really important to me too. So I feel like that was very long and rambling. <laughs> no, I'm like, again, I'm like, <laughs> you can't see me. I'm nodding. But that I think, I mean, to me, that's, that's capital Y yoga, right? Like that's yoga through the lens of self-discovery. Like even if you, <laughs> I just hear you tell this story, like even if you, I don't know, would have had plans to do something else in your life, this project, this work that you're doing would have found you because you're meant to do it. And uh, like now what an amazing time as it, as it potentially starts to shift um, the, the work, the scope of the work that you're doing, you know, for, you know, racial equity and just equity for all in this, in this work. So we're this month on yoga magic, we're talking about freedom, mm. freedom in a lot of areas, freedom in our bodies, freedom in, to feel pleasure, freedom to make money, just things that, especially as, as women, we sometimes don't feel like we're allowed to have. Mm. Um, and, in your in your words, I mean, what is freedom in your body? What is that? Mm, freedom in my body. Well, for me, freedom, I think, is synonymous with non-attachment. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like non-attachment, like don't be attached. It's the same as like be free. Yeah. And so for me, that means um, freedom from uh, the attachment to my body needing to look a certain way right? Like the outcome of my body um, and freedom from freedom from uh, the, the expectations that society sort of puts on all of us, right? And so I think like maybe I would sum this up that freedom in the body is about moving the locus of control from the exterior to the interior, so I'll say more of what I mean about that. Mm -hmm. um, when we have an orientation toward the body that dominant culture trains us to have, which is that our body is a problem to be solved or our body is a project that we're constantly trying to like improve upon and fix and like take care of yourself kind of things, right? And you're like, saying physical body, yes. Your physical body, okay. yeah. yeah. And so like, right, like we're trained, you know, at people raised and socialized as women are trained that we're supposed to be thin, right, that thinner bodies are better than larger bodies. And we're supposed to be young, right, youth is rewarded more than age, right? Like, so in our culture, our the dominant culture equates youth with beauty, it equates, um, or sorry, youth with worth, it equates beauty with worth, it equates um, productivity, thinness, like there are all these things that get assigned this hierarchy. And so, um, so if we have this, this extrinsic sort of mandate, right, from our culture that uh, we're supposed to be like working on our body and trying to attain the perfect body at all times, right, that sets up a, a certain set of expectations, right? Like I was talking about my relationship to exercise, right? So if I think that my body is a problem that needs to be fixed, then my relationship to exercise is going to be that like, oh, I should exercise so that I can make my body smaller. Right. Mm -hmm. I think a freedom, a more like free liberatory relationship with the body is one where of like agency and personal power, basically. So like my relationship to exercise or movement now is not because I think something needs to change about my body. It's because I find pleasure in movement. It's because I enjoy the mental health benefits that movement gives me. It's because I feel amazing and strong when I do certain physical things with my body, right? So it goes from this extrinsic expectation to one of intrinsic like alignment basically with like who I want to be, who like my highest self is. And I could relate that to anything pertaining to the body with food, right? An extrinsic lens would say, I need to be on this diet that's written by this expert, or I need to do a prescribed list of foods or a calorie count, right? There's this external thing. 
Whereas an intrinsic lens would be like, I'm attuned to my body's signals of hunger and fullness. I'm attuned to when I eat mindfully, which foods support me energetically and digestively and all of those things and which ones don't, right? Like that is a very different way of, of nourishing ourselves than I can't actually be the expert of what I eat. I need someone else to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, it's really about that, um, that journey of like turning inward. And, you know, for me, this body stuff is always lined up with my yoga practice because it's how, how I came home to my body. It's how I learned to really like get to know myself. And so I think for me, the, the journey of yoga is really that, that journey of turning our attention inward, right? So we can remember the truth of who we are. So we can like get in touch with that inner radiance, our humanity, that universal consciousness that we share. And I think that, you know, there's a really beautiful metaphor about like when we do like come to terms with ourselves and address like our body image, which is really about our thoughts. It's not really about what our body looks like. Um, that there's so much in yoga that can inform us about like how we can manage our minds. And I think like non-attachment is a big part of that. And so if we want to start like interrogating and and being in that space, like I think some good questions to ask ourselves is like, what are the things that I've been told about my body? And then like actually sit down, write them out. Like, and then do I actually believe those, like who taught me that? Do I believe that that's true? Like, who does this benefit me thinking this thing or feeling this thing about my body? Like, does it benefit me? Does it benefit a makeup corporation? Does it benefit a diet company? You know what I mean? And so I think like questioning, like where does the power exist about your body? Like have we given that power to someone else who gets to say what we're supposed to look like or what the point of our body is or who owns that body? Or have we decided that like for ourselves, you know, that we get to determine like what success looks like in our body. We get to determine what worth means in our body. So, you know, we've talked a lot about, about teachers and the way that teachers can be inclusive in their language. I mean, and I want to know more about this is that you do so much training and I don't want to obviously like boil it down into like a five minute answer, but Mm -hmm. What are some simple themes that teachers can can do more work in, take your training? Like what can they be pursuing to be more inclusive? Mm, you mean um, as far as language goes? Yeah, language and even I think like how you guys talk about creating environments mm, mm-hmm. because now that we're moving to a lot of digital space, I think this is getting challenging. At least it is for me, like to create an environment yeah. When I can't always see everyone's face. It's right. Really hard. Right. It is. It is. It's definitely hard. Um, I, we, I would say that like, you know, as teachers, especially maybe if we're in that sort of situation where we're not like in the room with someone, like where our nervous systems can affect each other. Like now our words are like one of the most powerful tools we have. And so I think that it is a really good idea, whether you're teaching online or in person to like verbalize things that will make it clear that your classroom is really like a low pressure, judgment-free, non-competitive yoga environment. And so I think that like when we reduce things like competition or judgment, um, that that can help our students to to be safer. Um, And also I think just like help them to have more of the experience of a yoga class. Yoga classes, I think, have a lot of times been sort of taught like fitness classes are. And so students kind of get the wrong idea that a yoga class is about like keeping up with the sequence or like doing some peak physical performance or whatever. And so I think like if we can discourage, you know, striving or attaining or some kind of sense of like competition or judgment, then we give our students like the agency and the permission to work with whatever body they're having that particular day. Cause our bodies change from day to day through the seasons of our lives, minute to minute, if you're paying attention during your yoga class, like, and so, um, you know, sometimes like in my classes, I will set it up and say like, you know, there's two, two rules. Rule number one is no suffering. So I'm going to offer lots of possible variations on poses um, I'd love for you to choose one and feel and really feel into it and see like which option is more supportive for you. And um, so like if you're if rule number one is no suffering, like 
if you're feeling this type of sensation or that type, you know, like I might actually describe, like if you feel any pinching or burning back off, pick a different variation, like set up those types of expectations. Um, you know, telling students, like, I'll often say that like this, you know, yoga mat is a ceasefire zone. We're not going to have any like negative self-talk, no judgment. If you look over next to you and see someone that's like lifting their leg higher or whatever you think is more advanced, like that's not your practice. Your practice is here, right? Like I say these types of things out loud. I make it clear that my class is about permission instead of perfection. And it really allows um, people to like choose where they want to work. And that's also something that I think like if we can eliminate hierarchy from our teaching language, that really helps, right? Like um, I'll give an example. So if you use language like um, if you can't hold down dog, you could just rest in child's pose, right? That still suggests sort of that like down dog is preferred. If you can't do that, there's this other option, right? Even the word like modifications, like you could take a modification, right? That implies hierarchy, right? That there's like a real way to do the yoga and a not so good way to do the yoga. At least that's what the student might think if they don't really understand the point of asana. And so I think it's important to normalize variations on poses, like with the understanding that, you know, everyone's practice looks different. And so I think sometimes that means removing uh, hierarchy, like, okay, for the beginner version of this posture, blah, blah, blah. And the advanced version is this. And in, and rather than, um, teaching from a way of like, um, okay, if you can't take the bind, just lift your arm in the air. And if you can't have your arm in the air, put your hand on your waist. And if you can't do that, go home. Cause you're a loser that can't do anything. Like that's what our students will hear. Right. So instead, instead of picking like the most complex shape, and then backing out of that with modifications, start with the simplest shape and then work up and add things to it. So for instance, like tree pose, maybe we would start with both feet on the ground, like one toe with the heel resting against the ankle and hands at heart center, what my friend Diane Bondi likes to call shrub. <laughs> and then maybe we grow into a tree, right? We might introduce like lifting the leg higher or taking the arms up or taking the gaze somewhere else. And so the student can pick where they work along that continuum of like the shape evolving from the most simple to the most complex. And, you know, I really want to make it clear that like, this isn't about like, you know, oh, well, we don't want to hurt our sensitive students, fifis. Like, it's not really about that. I think it's about um, really setting up an environment where all your students can have like an affirming experience and no one leaves thinking, you know, I was right. My body was not good enough to do yoga or I'm so out of shape. I wasn't able to, you know, hold down dog. And so like, I'm not going to go back because I was embarrassed. Like all of those bad experiences that we, we hear so often from students, like, oh, I had this horror story happen and I never went back. Like we can avoid and mitigate a lot of that just by making these really subtle shifts with like how we set up our learning environment, the things that we say, the way we talk about props, the way we talk about variations on postures, the way we, you know, make sure that we ask people's permission before we put our hands on them. I mean, I know that's different with COVID, but like pre-COVID, you know, the way we handle consent around assists, um, making sure that we ask people's names, that we ask their pronouns, like there's all these things that we can do to send signals to our students that we are honoring like the wholeness of who they are. We're not asking them to leave any parts of themselves at the door to be like accepted or to take part in this class. And that we're really making sure that as teachers that we offer like ways for students to practice regardless of their ability, their skill level, whatever, right? We're not just saying like, you can be in the class or you can rest in child's pose. We're actually thinking about like, as we design our classes, like what are ways that I could invite someone to participate in a sun salutation if they can't get up and down off the floor? Like, what's my strategy? Because if you haven't thought of it yet, that's going to happen to you. And then in that moment, you have the, the, the decision as a teacher, like, are you going to ignore that person and say, like, you can just rest in child's pose because you don't know how to work with them? Or are you going to be able to offer something to the whole class to participate? Maybe it's not going to look like a sun salutation that day. Maybe it's going to look like a different variation at the wall or in the chair or with the seat of the chair, right? Like, but I really think that, you know, whether you're teaching online or in person, you know, there are these ways that we can start to 
really take into consideration like when we look around our classroom, who's here and who's not? The ones who are not, why are they not? And we can start to maybe ask ourselves better questions and get to some of these, um, these ways that we can do a little better to make welcome, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I love that idea of just, yeah, look at your class and see who's coming regularly and how that can change. And, you know, maybe you're doing a great job. Maybe it's, it's a really balanced, diverse group and, you know, but at the same time, I think to what you had, you know, inviting feedback and conversation and like knowing as a teacher that you're probably going to F up a little bit, like you're never going to get it perfect every single time. That's Mm -hmm. not possible. And if, if you don't try, if you don't think ahead with your sequences about, who could be in your class, who you could include more, who you, what language you can use. I mean, then you're guaranteed to F up. So it's like, <laughs> just try. Yeah. And, and, and give it some time and some effort. And again, if you're a yoga teacher, it's not just asana. There's so much more yeah, to it, right? right? Like, like remember, <laughs> I think when we construct these classes, like remember the other seven limbs, like, because, you know, mm-hmm. as capitalism has basically commodified yoga into an industry that's bought and sold, I think a lot of yoga classes in America are basically like group fitness stretching classes. And that's fine. Like I like group fitness just like anyone else. But we have to remember that the most powerful parts of the practice are often the most subtle and the most accessible, right? So if we can de-emphasize this like peak physical prowess as like the goal of a yoga class and remind students about the fullness of the practice, which includes self-study and community and breath and presence and meditation and like so much more Then I think that we can start to, you know, I think also just give people more practical tools that they can really use at a time like this. Cause I'm kind of like, I mean, asana is great Mm -hmm. and asana is important and asana are amazing tools to like get into the body and start to like actually practice yoga. But asana is not yoga. Like, and asana, you know, I think that like, with the time that we're going through with COVID and everything that's happening politically in America and just like the wild ride that 2020 has been like for me, I think the, the, the resources that we can offer our students are really around like breath and meditation and presence and self-study and inquiry and all of these things that will actually serve us much better at this time than like an hour long, basically exercise class. Does that make sense? Like, Maybe instead of an hour long, you know, a 50 minute asana with 10 minute shavasana template or whatever, maybe there's half of your class dedicated to like community building time or sharing or talking about a topic from yoga philosophy. Like, I think especially in this online format, it works much better to do those type of things like meditation, breathing practices, really gentle, simple movement to get us into our bodies. But I don't know, like, I think we can serve our students so much better than like creating some like peak pose sequence. That's like really technically well done, you know, like maybe instead we can spend more time offering these tools that they can really take off the mat into their everyday life to take care of themselves. You know, yoga offers us so much of that. That's a good segue to your training, to the, to the accessible yoga training that's starting in September, right? Yeah, so the accessible yoga training um, was something that was exclusively an in-person training until June of this year, <laughs> and <laughs> or maybe until March or whenever everything started shutting down. Um, and so now it's um, completely online. Uh, we will be doing in-person trainings again at some point when it is safe to do so, but right now this training has moved completely online. Uh, we do plan to continue to offer it online even if and when we are um, able to gather you know, people together for in-person trainings. Um, we're definitely going to offer it like two to three times a year. So we offered it for the first time in June. Um, again, in September, we'll be doing one in the winter. Um, and so it's a 30 hour, um, continuing education for teachers who, Mm. uh, want to learn to make their classes more accessible and inclusive. So, Uh, We really teach you like a different way to think about the postures. You know, I started to talk about it a tiny bit, but like, what is the point of this posture or practice? Like, what's the why behind it? What is this all about? What's the essence of it? And how can we use that information to really be able to innovate and adapt on the fly? So this is not a training where you're going to learn like Amber's modifications for bridge pose, Amber's modifications for down dog. Like, it's not really like that. This is more about like teaching you a different way to approach 
strategize and think about postures and asana and meditation and breathing practice and all the things that we do um, to make your classes like a more accessible place where you can incorporate folks with disabilities, with mobility limitations, multiple levels of students together in the same class, like how to pull that off. That's what we talk to you about in the training. And so there's an amazing team of trainers that come to talk about everything from trauma-informed teaching to lots of stuff about adapting and modifying asana, working with larger bodies, working with seniors, working with incarcerated populations. Like we have some really amazing presenters and we sort of look at this course as sort of like the accessibility survey course, right? So um, each of these like thing, these topics that I'm talking about, you could take your own, you know, 30 to 100 hour training on. Um, but we give you like a taste of it. We give you some really good tools to take into your classes right away to begin to be more accessible and inclusive. And um, we... Uh, we also talk a lot about networking and community support. Um, that's a really big part of uh, how Jeevana and I both, you know, like approach our teaching and what our yoga is all about. And so um, community building is something we talk about a lot and we give folks a chance to connect with one another in the training um, around practice teaching and stuff like that. So I'd encourage y'all to go to the website, accessibleyogatraining.com, and you can sign up for the wait list there for the next cohort that's forming. And when you do that, you'll get some uh, materials in your inbox, some um, meditations and Dharma talks and different uh, writings from me and from Jeevana on like these topics on how you can kind of get started making your classes a more welcoming and inclusive space. So um, I'm really excited about having the training online. Like I love leading those trainings and it's really amazing to come together with a whole team of presenters to make it happen. Um, and so I'd love to see anybody there that would like to come. You don't have to be um, a certified yoga teacher to take the training, although it is geared toward mm. teachers, but we get a lot of people like occupational therapists, physical therapists, um, and also just yoga students who want to learn more about adapting their own practices. And so we welcome anyone to join the course. Um, teachers can earn CEUs through Yoga Alliance or through IAYT. And um, we also have payment plans and scholarships available. So I'd encourage you to, to apply, even if you um, don't think that you can swing it financially, we're, we're really committed to making it happen for people regardless of um, what their financial situation is. So definitely ask if you, um, if you want to apply for a scholarship, we, we would love to have you. So before you go, what do you do outside of yoga to take care of yourself? Like now that you're, <laughs> now that your life has changed a bit in the year, everyone's, you know, so, um, I've really gotten lately into uh, riding my bike. I used to bike commute to work like 10 years ago. And then I sort of like hung up the bike when I hung up that job. And this summer, like I've really gotten back into riding and it's been so good. Like it's, I feel like it's given me back the freedom that my brain wants to tell me I lost because I can't travel anymore. You know what I mean? And so it's been very sort of like, um, it keeps me really like centered and grounded in, in a similar way to yoga. Um, and then I've also, you know, I don't know, I, I kind of found it always hard to establish these, like, I don't know, I always talk to people and they're like, tell me their self-care routines. And I like always would get jealous because I'm like, oh, well, I travel too much. So I don't have like a consistent schedule. Mm -hmm. Well, now mm -hmm. I do. So <laughs> I've really gotten into this idea of like rituals and, um, have been really surprised at how little effort I have to put in to get a yes. really big return on investment. Like I've started this thing, like before I go to bed at night, I have this little container of like lotion or something from Lush that I really like the smell of. And I just like put lotion on my hands and feet before I go to bed. And I really treat it as like a very mindful activity. Like I'm like observing sensation in my body and I'm like, you know, I'm really present while I'm doing it. And just like that little tiny thing, I, this sounds like so cheesy to me when I'm saying it to you, but I'm really telling you how amazing that makes me feel. And just like taking a moment to reconnect with myself before I lay down and go to sleep. Like I'm sleeping better. I'm having less anxiety dreams. Like mm. it's a kind of amazing, just like this little bit of presence and attention. So 
Yeah, I've kind of been doing little experiments that way. I'm I'm really good at like, you know, giving people pep talks about self-care, but I kind of like ignore my own advice a lot of times. I can tend to be like <laughs> workaholic and all of that. And so I've really been trying these like little experiments and really treating them as experiments. Like mm-hmm. evaluating like, oh, do I feel like this was worth the time that I put in? If not, no big deal. I'll try another thing. And so mm-hmm. that's been good for me to stay in that place of like, I don't know, kind of being curious and treating it as like, we're just going to see because then I, I don't get caught up in this sort of like, I don't know, perfectionist tendencies around self-care that can happen. Like if I don't do it perfectly, then I can't do it at all. You know, which I think is like sort of leftover from diet culture or like this black and white, like all or nothing. Like, so that's been, that's been really good for me. And I like feel really good about how flexible it is. And it, sort of feels like, oh, I'm learning how to take care of myself as someone who stays at home and doesn't travel. That's like a new thing that I haven't done in a few years. And so I'm kind of having fun with experimenting with it. <laughs> well, and just think you could take that along on the road. If it's like, if your hand, you know, just right? like putting on some lotion at like at night, that's, oh, I love that idea. And I'm in such agreement that I think we overthink it. It's like, I need to take a bubble bath with essential oils and a podcast listing. And it's like, actually, no, just like take three minutes to breathe or like eat food while not on your phone. Yeah. Did it. (laughs) Like, I think for me, the whole, you know, and maybe this is like a theme of what you just said is like presence and attention, like during tasks, during like self-care things has made such a big difference, right? Like there's a way to like, I don't know, take a shower and get ready in the morning. That's very like my brain is somewhere else thinking about work and whatever. And then there's like a way to do it that really like I'm present in my body. I'm sort of like with myself. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And so I've been doing like a little bit more of that. Like just like, okay, I'm going to be here while I'm doing this thing. And that's, that's felt really different (laughs) and really good. So Mm -hmm. I've been taking cold showers after a hot shower, like a splash Ooh. of cold. And like, you have to be present with that because you're just like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> oh, uh, Amber, this was so awesome. I'm such a fan of yours and I really appreciate you taking the time to chat about the work that you're doing and how you can make teachers like me so much better for the world by just thinking about this stuff. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you again for listening to Yoga Magic, friends. Check out the show notes for more info on Amber Carnes. And again, share this episode or another episode of Yoga Magic with a friend. Everyone loves free content that applies to them. (laughs) Thanks, y'all. We'll see you next week.